Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Hacks, dedicated Second World War air power podcast, Hedge Hopping, with me, Matt Bone. The C-47 is the iconic workhorse of the Second World War. In our fifth hedge-hopping sortie, we welcomed Adam Berry and Flight Lieutenant Seb Davy of the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight to the show, and we discussed the training of the 9th Troop Transport Carrier crews and the experience of that night of nights, when it is said that everything went wrong. In that episode, we pulled the night of the 5th and 6th of June apart and saw the incredible work of those crews and their C-47s. Now, with COVID restrictions easing, the opportunity to take hedgehopping on the road arose. So Boney Sr. and I were very kindly welcomed up to Coventry, where a D-Day veteran is currently under restoration. Night Fright is an incredible C-47. She was just about everywhere in the Second World War. She flew every major operation, and currently she is under restoration with a team led by Charlie Walker of Walker Logistics. And they kindly invited us up for a nose around a brew and a chat about this remarkable aircraft that we may all remember from Guy Martin's D-Day landing TV show and soon will be gracing our skies. So the important thing to remember is this is an active restoration. So there is lots of riveting noises going on in the background. If you have headphones on, be aware that every once in a while there's two chaps busily working away to get this aircraft ready. So we hope you enjoy the visit up at Coventry with Charlie and I'll be back after our chat. Charlie, thank you for having us down. We are standing next to your lovely aircraft. Why don't you give us a bit of a description as audio is not really good for us telling people what we're gonna see. Yeah, no, that's right. It's uh, good, good to have you here. Good to, uh, good to show you around and, um, and tell you a little bit about what we're up to. Yeah, essentially, it, um, it looks like a big jigsaw puzzle at the moment, doesn't it? But uh, yeah, no, this is, um, this is our C-47 Night Fright, um, a C-47 that we've been working on restoring since 2012. So yeah, a, re a really significant aircraft, uh, an aircraft that was based at Membry, um, which is a place close to our heart. And um, yeah, an aircraft that took part in every major airborne mission throughout the Second World War. So a really, really significant C-47. Superb. So we're going to have we're going to have a little wander around inside of it, and just so everyone knows, they are working hard as we speak. So there will be lovely riveting noise going on in the background. So shall we go in? Shall we? Yeah, come on, let's go and have a look. You've done this before. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, definitely not the first time, but yeah, okay. come on, have a look. I'll just um, I'll give you a bit of a guided tour if you like. Fantastic. Take us away. So yeah, so we're we're in the the cabin, the, the fuselage of the aircraft. So. Yeah, this is where, where the action would have taken place. So you can see there would have been a, 
a row of paratroopers seats down each side of the fuselage here so yeah that's where the paratroopers would have sat with all of their gear this is the static line so this is where the guys would have hooked up so you know i'm sure you've seen you know band of brothers and and all the other representations so the stand up hook up you know move forward and and this is obviously the cargo door where the where the paratroopers would have exited so yeah this certainly would have seen a, a lot of action night fright took part in you know d-day operation dragoon market garden varsity you know all, all of the famous missions so yeah, this is a, a part of the aircraft that would have seen, um, you know, could tell a few stories, that's for sure. And, and she's very big as well, because I'm, you know, six foot, so, so are you just about, and we're able to stand quite happily, so a paratrooper with all his gear wouldn't have had too much trouble. No, no, no trouble, probably more trouble actually getting into the aircraft itself, to be honest. I think one of the things that still strikes me, and, you know, I've done this a number of times, is just how steep the angle is in, mm. the, in the rear of the aircraft when you walk from, from the back to the front, but... Um, it's a big old thing. It's nearly 95 feet from, from wingtip to wingtip. So it, it is a pretty large aircraft. And um, yeah, I mean, curiously, it, it wasn't designed for combat, was it? It was no. designed to carry passengers as an airliner and was then pressed and adapted into service. But obviously a, a role that it carried out really, really well. And you, now that you mentioned it, so it comes in just how steep an incline that is. Because of course, we're tail dragging aircraft, not like a, an airliner that people would be used to today. So we've got... A good gradient to, to lumber up for someone as unfit as me is bad, but when you've got a hundred hundred pounds worth of gear, hundred pounds worth of gear, that's certainly going to make it a little bit more exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see pictures, don't you, of the crew chief physically pushing the paratroopers up into the aircraft, and you can see why they would need to do that. I mean, I think that's probably one of the two things that strikes most people is just one how steep the angle is, and just two how big it is. Mm. Really. It's it's. Yeah. In, in your head when you think Second World War aircraft, you're thinking quite compact, you're thinking small due to, to power and weight, but you've, this is positively roomy. Yeah, it, it is, it is. I mean, ironically, the cockpit's probably the smallest part of the aircraft, which is where hopefully I'm going to spend a significant amount of time. Yeah, it is, it, it is a big old thing, but um, let's, let's move further let's up, head up and, yeah. and have a look. And have a look at some so before we sort of we move into the radio operators and navigation I mean the idea is that this is going to be a time warp really so once you step in the back of the aircraft it's like to the 6th of June 1944 so you you really do get a truly authentic feel of what those guys would have experienced on D-Day so we're, we're going to leave no stone unturned so whatever would have been fixed in period you know will be found sourced and, and refitted so that's, the other That's fantastic. Right, so we're at the, we're at the forward yeah. bulkhead. Let's head, let's head up. Let's head in. I mean, obviously, it, it looks a little bare now compared to what it will look like. But, you know, in, in the day, you would have had a, a radio operator sat here. Um, you would have had a navigator with a stool. All of the various sort of radio and navigation equipment. Um, you know, there's, there's radio racks that are missing from here. We haven't got to install all, all of those yet. But we're going to have everything from, you know, the, the wooden table, the wooden stool, all of the original radio and nav gear, which we found and is sitting uh, in a room next door in the hangar, which is going to be re really exciting. I think that's probably part of the project that's going to be the most exciting is, you know, when the structural work's completed and we get to install that detail and just recreate that experience, really. So it's, it's going to be the same with the cockpit. You know, the idea with the cockpit is it's, it's 6th of June 1944, so the, uh, the instrument panel's exactly the same. The instrumentation will be the same, you know, to the extent can't see it because it's boarded over but there's a, a big rectangular instrument in the middle of the panel which would have been a basic auto so 
we found one of those aircraft, we've chopped the face off of it and we're going to recess all of the modern transponders and radio equipment behind it and then plug the face back over the top. You know, you're not getting any of that modern feel. That's absolutely brilliant. And from just to say, we were saying how roomy it was back there. We stepped forward into the crew compartment, and it's so, as the sort of nature the nose starts pinching in, it gets a lot more cramped up here. So, how many people would be up here? Um, yeah, generally, obviously, you would you would have the two, the, the two pilots, so the captain, the co-pilot, and then you would have had the radio operator, the navigator. Um, and a crew chief as well. They wouldn't necessarily have carried a navigator on all of the missions, but you know, Night Fright did carry a navigator for, for the majority of what she did throughout the war. And so, you know, if we fast forward to what we're going to be doing, we will obviously have two, two pilots up front, um, and then a, what we'd call a crew chief, sort of slash loadmaster, really taking care of the paratroopers in the back. But you're right, it is a it is a cramped cockpit, and you know, from a flying perspective, it's not the easiest to see out of. It's like any tail tragger, which is why you weave when you're taxiing, so you can actually see what's in front of you. But <laughs> when you're sat here, you really are have to almost stand up on your tiptoes and see where you're going, really. It, it does. I remember when we had Seb Davy on, he said it is looking, look, looks like looking through a letterbox. And he's not wrong because it, it just sort of tapers straight away to that lovely little windscreen that you have up there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Forward visibility is not the best, but obviously that immediately changes on the takeoff roll, you know, when you get the tail flying and you get a bit more of a perspective. And then, you know, once you get it into the air, it's, it's a different story, really. Yes, it's... Uh, it's a big heavy old aircraft you know with none of the sort of the modern gizmos that you find these days but once it's in the air it's just it's just an airplane is it a bit of a handful in the critical phases of flight yeah yeah it is it's a tail dragger and you know if you're not careful particularly on, on the landing and takeoff rolls it, it will catch you out but um it's great fun oh, I, i'm really jealous because this looks a lot of a lot of fun ages to get back together but be when she's ready to fly but a lot of effort because it's been Seven years now? Yeah, blimey. If we, if we go back a little bit, we first bought the aircraft in, in America um, in a scrapyard in November 2012, I think it was. And yeah, we, we've come an awful long way since then. You know, I guess initially we set out, you know, let's... Well, in fact, if I go right back to the beginning, we, we were going to get Night Fright and have her as a gate guardian at memory, put it on a pole. It wasn't actually going to fly. And then we thought, well, yeah, that's great, but it'd be even better if it, if it could fly. And then from that, a flight, that, that was a pub conversation, wasn't it? Uh, something like that, yeah, <laughs> something like that. So um, we've come a long way since then, and you know, from a flying perspective, initially we were just going to make her look right, for want of a better word, and you know, we're going to paint her in the right markings. No way were we going to go to the level of detail that, that we have now. But one thing led to another, and um, yeah, fast forward eight or nine years, and and, and here we are. <laughs> It's those sort of decisions which most people think would be madness, but brings us here to this this beautiful, beautiful aircraft. Let's head outside and have a wander around and look at the wings. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So we're now standing next to a wing, Charlie, which looks, to my untrained eye, just about ready to go. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly getting there. I mean... <laughs> funny thing is the wings are something that we ignore for 90% of the, of the project so far really we just sort of push them into the corner of the hangar for want of a better word and think well, you know we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that later so, so to speak and I think we, we didn't think that they'd be a huge amount of work they, they, were, they were a bit of an unknown and we always had a bit of a quandary was to how do you properly inspect you know what's gone on inside the wings and carry out any repairs that are necessary and then how do you protect what's in there going forward really from any any further corrosion um, 
So we sort of, we hummed and, hummed and hard, uh, and eventually we made the difficult decision to completely de-skin the underside of the wings, uh, which is a massive, massive undertaking. It's probably not far off a month's work just to de-skin the wings. You know, that's just so you can see what's going on internally. And uh, I'm really glad we did, to be honest. There was quite a number of repairs that needed carrying out, you know, anything from replacing, replacing stringers, um, you know, spar booms, aileron hinges, upper and lower attach angles, uh, you know, bits of skin itself. So you, you name it. Really. So it's a project we started probably at the end of November last year. And we're probably, I'd say we're less than a month away from completing that now. So, I mean, as, as you said, they look, they look absolutely, absolutely fantastic. They, they look like new, probably better than new, in fact. So it's, um, it's going to be a big milestone once we get those finished. We're probably going to go straight through to top coat paint finish on these, which will be the first part of the aircraft with top coat paint on, which is um, really exciting. And, you know, you think the aircraft looks big now. Once you've got these on, it'll, it'll transform, <laughs> transform the thing and it'll take up a lot more of the hangar. So, yeah, very exciting, very exciting. And I guess that gives you guys added confidence knowing you've stripped it right down. You know they're A100% ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. You can, you know, you can, you can never be too careful. And as I say, I'm, I'm really, really glad that we've done what we've done. It's been a major, major undertaking, both financially and, and it's, um, it was 100% the right call. And I'm really, really glad we did it. Well, they, they, look, they look absolutely fantastic, which, you know, it's just sort of, annoying all the listeners really because they don't get to see it you're saying about a month month to go once you're ready how long to to fit and rig once they go on the fuselage yeah that's that's a good question i think actually i was just chatting to ben the the, the project lead this morning as to you know whether we want to attach these wings as soon as we finish them or not and i think probably the consensus at the moment is we won't attach them straight away and it, it, it sounds silly really but it's just it transforms the, the size of the aircraft the space it takes up mm. and and how easy it is and isn't to work on other parts of the aircraft so i think initially they will just be put back on the shelf so to speak uh while we finish off a few other areas um and then look to attach them but certainly we'll go as far as making sure all of the controls and the rigging is in place so when it does come to attaching them it's just a case of bolting them on so to speak it it'll be that ikea thing as soon as you put them on you're going to go we shouldn't have done that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's literally just a ring of bolts. I mean, I know, I know the listeners won't be able to see that, but um, it is a, a ring of bolts to, to attach them. So it's, it's that simple, really. So as long as all those holes line up, <laughs> we should be all right. It's the, the moment of dread as well as truth. It's that old adage that they, they came off, so they'll go back on. <laughs> You're going to regret saying that now. <laughs> Probably. That's definitely staying in the edit. <laughs> so, when we, we were talking before about how difficult it is actually to see inside of it. Once, once these go on again, that's basically them, them done for the foreseeable future. It's, it's difficult enough looking in, even with the small inspection panels that we can see on the top. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's the idea. This, this will never be need to, to be done again. You know, there are inspection panels and you can... You can you know, for want of a better word, get a snapshot of what's going on inside there. But with what we've done, this, this aircraft will outlive us. That's for sure. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. 
Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. One of the sort of geeky questions that'll come up. Fuel tanks going in, they're going to be fully self-sealable D-Day spec, will they? Or are you going to go slightly simpler with them? Um, no, they're just, they're just going to be as was, to be honest. I mean, those are, whether those are the original fuel tanks t- to the aircraft during wartime, I'm not 100% sure, really. But those are the, the, the tanks that the aircraft came with when we bought us. So those are, those are what are going to go back in with a, with a few repairs. There's, um, there's a little bit of welding and patchwork that's had to take place on those. But no, they've been, they've been done. They've been leak checked and, and they're ready to go back in. So, yeah, that's something that we're pretty close to achieving. The detail on it is stunning. Just there's something lovely about a freshly riveted section of aircraft and your your team have done an absolutely stunning job on this yeah we're really lucky to be honest i mean i don't think there's well there definitely isn't too many places in the world where you could have a job like this done and you know as you say it's a it's a testament to ben and the team at heritage air services here that they've done such a wonderful job and um you know, no doubt we'll continue to do so. And, you know, we're, we're really, really excited, you know, the day she's going to finally roll out. of. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And you can hear them hard at work in the background. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're, uh, they're beavering away, so that's, that's riveting you can hear taking place in the background. So that's been a fairly continuous uh, noise in the hangar over the last four months or so. So I think the, the team are probably fairly sick of the sound of the, the rivet gun, so I'm sure they're uh, looking forward to the wings being finished as much as I am. So, Charlie, I think one of the amazing things about Night Fright was she was everywhere, wasn't she? You know, we, we, D-Day looms large, but that was just one evening for her in a, in a long lifetime worth of work yeah that's that's probably a, a pretty good way of putting it to be honest yeah absolutely she's um she she took part in every major airborne mission throughout the war and and then obviously had a another life again post-war so yeah built built in long beach in in 1943 um and she she went on to become part of the 436 troop carrier group so the 436 uh, arrived in bottisford um in the midlands initially uh, it was at that point that night fright was assigned to to the 436 troop carrier and specifically the 79th troop carrier um, squadron uh, which meant that she was going to be based at membry and you know the part of the whole reason for, for the project for us is is membry that's where we're based as a family that's where our family business is so that's kind of where the whole thing started really with us looking into the history 
what aircraft and squadrons flew from Embry, um, what roles did they, did they carry out and why was it so significant and that's what led us to C-47's Troop Carrier Command um, and then eventually Night Fright which we found in a scrapyard in Arkansas in late 2012. So yeah, as you, as you say, D-Day obviously the most synonymous airborne mission with World War II but Night Fright carried uh, paratroopers and towed gliders as, as part of D-Day. Um, she was part of a detachment of C-47 that, that were posted to Voltone in Italy to take part in Operation Dragoon, the invasion of southern France. Um, she took part in, in Market Garden, um, in, in Varsity, um, did, did, a, did a double glider tow um, as part of that. So, yeah, ev every major airborne mission you can think of, as well as, you know, all of the, uh, the, the Kazivax and resupply missions that I guess are not... Um, you know, quite quite so well well publicised, but yeah, a huge um, a huge amount of history, huge amount. Because it, it it was never just doing the drops or doing the toes. It was constant work in between. Because we, we tend to think of the big stuff, don't we? But it's like I said, the the, the Kazvac, the the resupply, all of that, just constantly between <laughs> constantly between the major operations. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. I think that's a fact that's probably overlooked, to be honest, is, you, you know, you tend to think of these aircraft carrying out the major famous missions and, and then just parking up and, you know, sort of waiting for the next one. Absolutely not. As you say, it was constant sort of shuttle run. That's evacuating casualties, you know, carrying in fuel or, or other supplies. It was just a, a non-stop sort of relentless resupply mission, really. <laughs> We've, we've been chatting for about 10 minutes and the boys haven't been working. Now we're recording, they're back at it. Love, love them. Um, what, about, what about post-war? Because she's had a long life before that scrapyard in Arkansas. And so quite, quite a bit more interesting. So who, who did she fly with in, in between your collection and the end of the war? Yeah, no, absolutely. An another a sort of her second life, really. So, um, yeah, she, f she flew for a number of different um, airlines, be that carrying passengers or, or hauling uh, cargo, in including livestock. So, you know, if, if I just pick on... So she, she flew for an airline called Piedmont Airlines, um, where she had various modifications. So an air an air stair door replaced the um, the cargo door at the back, and obviously it would have had all the sound soundproofing and plush seats and interior, etc., um, etc. Et so that, that's one good example. She actually went back to Europe and joined the French Navy, uh, where she trained um, naval um, navigators. Um, so as part of that, we can see that the Astrodome was moved um, on the aircraft and various other modifications. She then went back to the States and um, flew for various different cargo operators, hauling car parts and live poultry, all sorts. And she, she ended up with over 60,000 hours um, on the airframe, um, was listed on eBay, failed to sail in an eBay auction. Um, we picked her up in a, in a scrapyard shortly after that in late 2012. You really can get anything on eBay, can't you? You, you, you really can, and we, we really do, trust me. <laughs> Gotta love eBay. Um, okay, so we've come underneath her now. So we're just standing underneath underneath the cockpit, between the engines. What power plants have you got on it? 
Yeah, we've um, well, we've actually had three three engines completely overhauled in zero time. All, all three of them um, in the states with two different companies. So these are Pratt and Whitney 1830s twin watts. So yeah, I mean the irony is we we haven't even run these engines yet. So we, we've had these uh, probably hanging on the aircraft 18 months, something like that. Um, and as you can see, these there's various red, red flags dotted around, which means that you know those are areas still requiring uh, attention. Um, you know, essentially unserviceable. But to be honest, there's not a huge amount left to do to the engines. I mean, if, if we needed to make those engines run pretty quickly, we could. It's it's all of the subsystems that you know need to feed into those. So you know, the hydraulic system is pretty much complete. Same with the oil system. And in fact, uh, the fuel system is not, not far away either. I mean, you can actually see all of the fuel tanks sat under the aircraft mm -hmm. ready for, for installation. So, you know, we're not that far off. We've got brand new propellers, which are behind you in a big box on, on that rack up there. So they, they need to be, be assembled um, and fitted. The reason we haven't done that is they're, um, they're what we call calendar life. So essentially, as soon as you assemble them, a clock starts ticking until you need to inspect them next. So they're better off in the box than they are sat on the aircraft at the moment. So yeah, that, that's where we are w with the engines. There's not a huge amount left to do. It's, um, as I say, all of, the, all of the subsystems really. But I mean, I'm probably going to regret this saying this, but the idea at the moment is to have engines running by the end of this year. That's um, that's the plan. That's something that we're aiming for. You, so. you heard it here first. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I've sort of given up on deadlines and schedules now. I've set enough of them, and, and we haven't we haven't done well with deadlines. So, so yeah, I'll probably regret that. But yeah, that's that's where we are with, with the engines at, at the moment. Um, yeah, as I say, the irony is um, we haven't even run them yet. But um, yeah, and then you, you can see a lot of the other detail as well. As I said, we've pretty much overhauled every part so you can see that they're just they're working on a, on a wing tip here it needs a little bit of a, a repair to, to the tip there um you can see these are all of the the electrics which is something we haven't really started yet if i'm honest um, there's a lot of work to do on the electrics um, if we move around the other side a little bit you can see some of the detail in the, in the hydraulic piping running up the side of the fuselage yep. on this side. Um, these are the battery bays here, which have been completely, completely redone. We can have a little look under one of the nacelles. So you can see the, the landing gear, again, completely overhauled. I mean, just look at the detail in, in the nacelles. Those are the oil tanks up there, which have been completely overhauled as well. One thing I didn't didn't mention on the engines which we're working on at the moment is a fire detection system, which is something we're just just finalising at the moment. Um, what else have we got to do? We've got the brakes to completely overhaul um, and fit. Fuel tanks there, you can see four of them have got to be installed. I mean, if we can dive under there a little bit, so you can have a have a look under here. So you know the the centre section is ready to accept the fuel tanks. These tanks have all been repaired, leak checked and essentially uh, are ready ready to go we were just waiting on a, a couple of little parts we needed to install them just um, some some bits of, of rubber to protect the center section when the tanks are installed so they're ready to go but we've essentially we've been concentrating on the wings for the last four months so we, we kind of down tools on the rest of it really so there's a lot of stuff that's ready to be fitted and installed it's just waiting for us to get so yeah there's there's plenty that's been done but there's plenty more to do so Things like the tanks, they're not timeless as well. It's just major, major moving parts really yeah, that's going to have the inspection. Yeah, edits. exactly. That's, that's all for things like engines um, and propellers and stuff like that, really. But um, yeah, I mean, 
to all intents and purposes, it's a, it's a nut and bolt restoration though. We've literally, you know, when it arrived here, we took it apart piece by piece. The centre center section was separated from the fuselage, uh, the tail was removed, <laughs> the wings were obviously removed, they had no engines, no landing. So it's been a, a massive jigsaw puzzle. I guess one question would be, the fixtures for the power packs that went underneath, will you have things like that on it as well? That's a very good question. That is a, a very good question. The answer is yes, we'd like to. Mm -hmm. um, as far as I'm aware, there's no other C-47 in the world flying with Pararac. Um, we'd have to look at the uh, the legalities of doing that um, and how, how we would fix those to the aircraft. Um, there are a very limited number of Pararacs available in the world. Uh, we have found some. Um, whether we can acquire them is another question, but it's very much something we'd like to do. Um, I can't say at the moment that we're definitely going to do it, but we're certainly thinking about it. Because it, it does seem like they're being a little bit more lenient with hanging things off off of aircraft now because the new Greek Spitfire has a couple of 250 pounders on it now. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's definitely something we'd have to look at. I mean, if I was to stand here now and, and make an educated guess, I see there's no reason why we can't install the para racks themselves. Mm -hmm. Whether we can have the para packs in the racks, I'm not sure. So but that quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's worth looking at, that, that's for sure. But if it, if, if it, if it can be done, you know, then, then that adds to the originality and authenticity that we're looking for. The big question really is for, for, for listeners and people that want, want to get involved in even a small way, can, can people help? Can, can people get involved other than you know, just watching, watching your videos and, and the updates on Facebook? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we welcome everyone to, to, to come and get involved. And at the moment, we're, we're a little bit challenged. As you can see, what we need at the moment is, is core engineering skills, really, from, from a, a restoration perspective. But one of the things we are doing is, is building a, a museum at Membry, which will, will pay tribute to Troop Carrier Command and, and what happened at Membry. And, you know, at that point, we're very much looking to establish a, a team of volunteers and a ground crew to come and get involved with not just Night Fright, but, um, you know, as part of the museum as well. So absolutely, there's going to be a chance to get involved. So one of the privileges of doing doing this gig for me has been able to come into shops like this and see these incredible skills that are happening because um, these are work, works of art but using skills that many would have thought have, have passed us by. Yeah absolutely as you say sort of real sort of old-fashioned engineering skills and you know we're so lucky to have such a wonderful team here carrying out the work for us and you know I think that's something that we're, we're really proud of I mean you know if you don't do projects like this then you know these skills get lost and they don't get passed on to, to future generations and you know I guess speaking generally that's something that people ask me quite a lot is you know you must be mad why, why are you doing this and <laughs> I suppose the honest answer is I probably am but you know at the same time if you don't preserve bits of history and, and those kind of skills then you know it just gets lost. Charlie this has been absolutely great fun um, this this is just stunning and we cannot wait to, to see her fly so thank you so much for inviting us down myself and Boney Senior who's standing on the other side of the wing but Thank you so much, Charlie. This has been great. Absolute pleasure. You're more than welcome. You'll have to come back and see us when we're a little further down the line. Maybe on that magical wing day. Absolutely. Thank you. I'd just like to thank Charlie Walker and the Night Fright team once again for letting us come up and have a look at their incredible restoration project. If you want to learn more about the aircraft, her history, and of course, most importantly, her future, you can head to their website, which is night-fright.com, where you can learn 
all about the project and also get in contact if you have some of those fantastic engineering skills. If not, you can buy some merch as well and wear the fantastic logo on your chest with pride. We're taking hedge hopping on the road a few more times over the course of the summer. So please listen out for those shows. Of course, if you've got a restoration project that you'd like to chat to us about, please do get in touch. Hit us up via the Twitter machines or through the Facebook page as well. We have lots more exciting episodes coming up on History Hacks soon from some incredible guests, and you're going to be blown away by some of the topics that they're going to be chatting about. But remember, all of this needs your support, and you have been incredible over the last year. But as things change and the world opens up once again, we need your support more than ever. So remember to check out all our guests' latest publications on our very own bookshop. You can find that at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack, where there's some great titles just waiting for you to pick them up. Of course, a percentage of every sale goes to supporting the podcast, which is wonderful, and we thank you so much for that. There's also Patreon, which means it's now time for the Patreon bit. In 2020, when the boss ladies Alex and Alina started History Hack, the world was very strange. And unfortunately, it looks like 2021 is going to be equally strange. We would love it if you're able to support the podcast in any way. It will allow us to keep up the regularity of the pods and also the great guests that we've been able to bring you over the last year. We exist on Patreon as History Hack and also on Podbean, our podcast host's own platform called Patreon. The reward tiers are being updated at the moment, so there's going to be some fantastic options for you to choose from. So if you're able to support us, that would be fantastic. So we thank you very much, and until the next time, bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.